0: Hello, Life Changes Church. Thank you so much for joining us today. We've got an amazing word for you, so get your pens and your notebooks ready, because God wants to speak to you today. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Wonderful to see you all. Well done, Mish. You nailed that, even though you look like you're developing tonsillitis. Proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I think it's beautiful when people just are willing to lay down their lives uh, for the sake of us gathering, even though it's cold and even though uh, there were a whole bunch of people that normally come to this evening, that were part of the ordination this morning, and so it's a smaller crowd. But what happens here, this is is the real deal. This is when God comes because we are committed to meeting together. We know that God will meet with us. We are the church, and I really believe that God has a word for us. And for you today, for you so that you would remain part of us, so that you would be encouraged this evening. I've entitled the message this evening, Take Heart, just an encouragement to the righteous. And uh, I came across the saying, and that's what kind of gave me the idea. The saying says, haters are like crickets. They make a lot of noise. You can hear them, but you can't see them. And when you walk right by them, suddenly they get quiet. You've heard of the haters, right? The critics, the naysayers, the guys who think that you can't do anything right. And they come in many shapes and forms. Sometimes it's something on social media. Sometimes it's something written on a kid's report. Sometimes it's a diagnosis that you get. Sometimes it's critics in your own head that just tell you that you're too far gone, that you're never going to make it, that your finances are not going to come right, that you are never going to get into the degree that you want to study, that you are never going to make it through to the next level of your career. Just that, that critical voice, the haters, this, those, the voices that make you want to give up. And I don't think that God looks on, on those voices very, very lightly. I actually think that God is very indignant and angry with those voices. There is a a line, a verse in Ezekiel, the Old Testament, where people have been discouraging the righteous. And God says this, because you disheartened the righteous with your lies when I had brought them no grief. You can imagine what it carries on to say, but just the, the righteous indignation of a God who is leading his people through a difficult time to a hopeful future, how he feels about those that would come with the criticism and with the no's and with you can't and with you're not good enough and you're not going to make it, the disheartening before you get to the journey, before you get to the destination as you go along the way. And I don't want it to be said of any single one of you that you didn't make it to the finish line because you quit that you didn't make it to the finish line, you didn't ever know whether or not victory would be yours in the end, because you never made it to the end. And I don't want that to be your situation. I was watching a a Shakespeare play with my my kids uh, called Henry V. And in Shakespeare's version of Henry V, Henry is a king of England, and he comes across information that he is actually the rightful king of France, that according to the way that Fr- the French work out genealogies with mothers included, he actually should be the king of France as well. And so he gathers together the English guys, and they decide to go and take what is rightfully theirs to join the countries together. And uh, King Henry V goes across to France, and for a whole year, they fight, and they fight, and the weather is Terrible! Have you ever been in terrible weather—just rainy, miserable, cold? They're camping; they are not at home, and they are fighting. And there's losses along the way, and the guys are really discouraged. And a year into the fighting, the French decide to come at the English with everything to get them out of their land once and for all. And the the date is set for the battle, and it's in a couple of days' time. And as the days leading up to the battle uh, are, are passing. The French keep sending a herald, a messenger, to King Henry in front of all his soldiers to ask him if he wants to ransom his life. And the reason that's significant is because the herald is actually making sure that all the others can hear and saying, King, if you sell out, if you give us a certain amount of money, we will let you go with your life. But all of the losses that the English army have suffered would have been for nothing if the king sells out. And, and so King Henry is so angry with his herald as he comes again and again to to discourage, basically, to pretend to ask for ransom, but to make rumors spread through the English camp that the king is going to sell out on them, that the king could step out of this battle at any moment. Why should the English, after a year of sleeping in the cold and damp and fighting and losing their friends, get up and fight with everything they've got on that but the, the day of battle that was to come If there was a possibility that halfway through the day, the king could go, okay, I think I'm going to lose. I'll sell out. And so the the day of the battle arrives, and it's quite a fierce battle. It goes on uh, through the day, and at about mid-afternoon, King Henry is called. uh, Somebody runs to call him, and he's told that around the back of the the, the battle lines where the boys, the 12-, 13-, 14-year-olds, are watching the camp, watching all their bags, watching over the weapons, the French have come around the back and they have slaughtered the defenseless boys. And Henry goes and he, he's he got one of the boys in his arms, just devastated at the losses that the English are fighting in order to take what they believe is rightfully theirs. And in that moment, the herald comes again. And King Henry cannot believe his, his nerve. He is furious. He grabs the herald and he throws him down into the mud and he says, how dare you come again now when you have done this to our boys? How dare you come and discourage us now? And the herald says, no, 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 no. I'm here to ask if we can collect our dead. And King Henry says, what do you mean? What do you mean collect your dead? Is the battle over? Who's won? Whose day is it? Is it the French or the English? And the herald says, the day is yours, your majesty. You are king of France. And with that, uh, Henry is brought to the numbers of his dead and the losses that the English have faced, noblemen, people that he's had meals with, friends of his. And there has been tremendous loss, but there has been victory because they didn't quit. And the losses were not for nothing. Friends, I know, I know because of the time of history that we're in, that you have experienced at least discouragement if not tremendous loss in the last few years and that those around you have done the same and that as an army it feels like a year at least of camping in the rain and the cold and losses and it feels like maybe we should just quit maybe we should just tap out And the reason that I know that is I believe that we're in a time of history called the great falling away, the apostasy, the time when it is given to the enemy to discourage the saints of God and to get them to quit before the victory, because the victory is just around the corner. There's another battle that I want to take you to. That is in, in Israel's history. It's in the Old Testament, biblical times. And the king of Aram in the Middle East is uh, fighting against the king of Israel. And he's coming into, into Israel and doing raids and trying to uh, take over and, and little pockets of land and cities and towns. But the trouble is, Every time the king of Aram makes a move, the king of Israel is one step ahead of him. As he comes to set up an ambush, the king of Israel is already there. As he chooses a place to go and camp, the, Isra- the Israelites are already there. And so the king of Aram gathers his advisors and his wise men and he says, who of you are a traitor? Can you please tell me which one of you are on the, on the king of Israel's side? Because clearly somebody is giving him our every move. And they say No you know what it is? The king of Israel has got a man of God called Elisha, who seems to be getting a download of everything that we're about to do. It's as if he's sleeping in your bedroom. He knows the whispers that you you make upon your pillow. And he is telling the king of Israel every move. And so the king of Aram says, okay, well, can we go and arrest him? Can we go and capture him? We need to get rid of this guy so that we can win. And so that's exactly what they do. They go with a strong force in the middle of the night, chariots and horses, and they surround the town that Elisha's in. And as the first light uh, comes up in the morning, the servant of Elisha goes out and quickly turns around and comes back inside because he's seen that they, their town is completely surrounded by this strong force with chariots and horses. And he says, Elisha, Elisha, we are in big trouble. They know what you're doing and they're here to capture you. And is super calm, and he says, God, would you open the eyes of my servant? And with that, the servant takes another peek outside, and he sees not just the chariots and the horses and the strong force against them, but he sees infinitely more angelic host for them. And he sees that they are actually in, a, in the strongest position possible. And with that, the Elisha says again, God, would you close the, the enemy's eyes? So not, not physically, in the same way that he opened the servant's eyes, can you close their eyes so that they don't know what's going on? And then he goes outside and he says to them, who are you guys looking for? Are we Are looking for Elisha? He goes, oh, shame, come with me. I'll show you where to find him. And so they all follow him, the chariots, the horses, they're all following after the guy that they were supposed to be capturing all the way into Samaria to the king of Israel. And only when they get there, are their eyes opened and they realize that they've been duped and that they are now (laughs) in the middle of enemy camp. And the king of Israel cannot believe the gift he's been given just after breakfast. He's like, this is the greatest day. And he says to Elisha, what should I do, my lord? What should I do, my father? Should I kill them all? And Elisha says, no, no. What would you have done if you had captured them with your own sword and bow? These are enemies of war. Feed them." Give them something to drink. They're exhausted and send them home. They are defeated. So three things that I want to take on how do we fight as the righteous? How do we win our battles as those who are the righteous? A little bit like Elisha did that day. The first thing that I want to look at is that we need to align wisely we need to make sure we're on the right team. This is an encouragement to the righteous, so how do we know that we're on the righteous side? Sometimes when we're under attack, and particularly criticism, uh, we, f- we think maybe we've done something wrong. Like maybe we are not on the right side. We're, we are under so much attack, and there's so many against us, that perhaps we haven't aligned wisely. But I want you to notice here that it was because of what Elisha was doing that he was under attack, that it was because of him aligning wisely and being on God's side that the enemy had singled him out. And so sometimes when you feels like you're singled out by the enemy, it's a compliment. Don't be discouraged by that. But then secondly, how can we know that we have aligned wisely and that we are on the sake, that we're on the side of the righteous? I want to read to you from another prophet, Ezekiel, and he says this, The people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and needy and have extorted from the sojourner without justice. So they're not doing okay. They're not. They're not being righteous. And I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none, and therefore I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have returned their way upon their heads, declares the Lord. What I want you to notice here is the first verse, it was very clear that these guys, Israel, weren't doing so well, that they were being unjust, that they were mistreating the poor, that they were, uh, they were committing robbery and extortion. But this middle verse is the one that I want you to notice. And I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Friends, I want you to know and and hopefully to encourage you that I, in my own marriage, have broken down the defenses that would allow me to stand on my own righteousness. There are defenses, there are decisions that I have made that have made me lose my position of saying, but I'm righteous God, therefore you must fix my marriage. In my parenting of my children, there are things that I've done, things that I've said, things that I've failed to do that mean that there are a breach in the wall of my defenses if it's my righteousness that I'm standing on. But God is looking to fill the the breach in your wall of your defenses as he looks over on us motley bunch and everything we've done this week and everything we've done this month and everything we shouldn't have done and the guys we've driven past that we should have stopped for and the people we haven't greeted that we should have greeted and the things we've said that we shouldn't have said and the things we've watched that we shouldn't have watched. He's looking at all of that mess and he's saying, Can I find someone who would stand in the breach of the wall so that these guys, whom I love, can be on the side of the righteous? Another prophet Isaiah says this about a man that hopefully can stand in the breach one day. He will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, that's Judah and Israel a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. There's prophecies here of a man that was to come that would be able to stand in the breach. That God looked over Israel and he said, my people are unrighteous, I need to help them to be on the right side. I need to be able to help them to align wisely. And then prophets started to prophesy that there would be one that would come that would be a sanctuary, that would be able to stand as a rock of refuge behind which we could hide, that would be able to be the defenses around us that would put us on the inside of the camp of the righteous. But not only would he be a rock of refuge, he would also be a stone of offense. Why? Why would he be offensive? Because in order to hide behind him, you need to acknowledge that there is a breach in your wall. You need to acknowledge that there are things you've done or not done, or said or not said, or been or not been, that have caused you not to be defendable in court or before God. When we admit that, then he is no longer a rock of offense, but becomes a sanctuary of refuge. That was prophesied and a number of centuries later, Jesus, the Son of God, walked this earth and a friend who knew him recognized, this is the guy. This is the rock that we've been waiting for. This is the sanctuary, the rock of refuge, the one that God looked over Israel to say, can I find a man who can stand in the breach? And a friend of his and his disciple, Matthew, wrote this about Jesus. He who falls on this stone, Jesus, will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. Matthew, who himself had lived a life of of knowing that he deserved to be outcast. He deserved to be defeated. He deserved to be judged for what he'd done. But he recognized that he had two choices now that he knew about this stone and this rock. Either he was going to fall on it and be broken to pieces, humble himself and come before Jesus asking for help, or he would be crushed because he failed to do so. How do we remain on the side of the righteous in times of conflict and accusation? And when the things that people are saying are maybe half true? When we seem to be surrounded by enemies? Friends, we humble ourselves so that we will not be humbled. We fall on Jesus so that we will not be crushed. Let his goodness break you to pieces so that you will not be crushed by his holiness. There was a woman who who realized that this was who Jesus was. And as he picked her up off the floor, he said to her, where are your accusers? Where are the critics? Where are the haters? Where are the naysayers? Come and tuck in behind me. Come and tuck in behind me. If you will humble yourself and, and fall onto the floor yourself, come and tuck in behind me. We read in, in Romans that those that God has called us, his elect, his chosen, those who he's called and, and put in this room, he has also justified. And those whom he has justified, he has also glorified. He, those who have, he has called, he justifies to be on the side of the righteous. And those who are, he, he has justified, he glorifies to be the victorious it goes on to say this in verse 31. What then shall we say to all of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Victory is ours. The day will be ours. If God is for us, who can be against us? Because friends, when he looked at you and when he saw the breach in your defenses and your inability to defend yourself with your own righteousness, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. How will he not graciously also give you all things and protect you and defend you and step you into health and healing and wholeness. Romans carries on to say, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is there to condemn? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, even if we are criticized and killed and under attack all day long, yet in verse 37, it carries on, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through God who loved us. We need to align wisely, friends, and the way that we align wisely, the way that we make sure that we are in the side of the righteous is less about what we do and more about who we call upon. That name of Jesus that we sang that is over us, Secondly, as Elisha's servant learned, we need to see rightly. When you walk out and you see that you are surrounded by enemies, when you check your social media and you see that you're surrounded by haters, when you are surrounded by critics and naysayers and and those who say that the country is not going to be okay and your kids are not going to be okay or your marriage is too far gone and your bank account's a joke and your career is on a hiding to nothing, when you're surrounded by all of those enemies, you need to also see rightly. You need to also see what and who is on your side. I want you to know, take a minute to just look around the room. We are for you. We, we are for you. We are here to pray with you. We are here to walk with you. We are here to encourage you and let anybody discourage you. And we have brought you no grief. (laughs) We will sort them out. There are more that are with us than those who are with them. As the the prophet said, don't be afraid. The prophet answered, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. The trouble is, like King Henry discovered, when you fight an enemy territory, the enemy has an endless supply of soldiers, it would seem. That you just defeat one and oh, here comes another one. We are an enemy territory. (laughs) We are an enemy territory. Wake up to the reality that we're living in. This is the times that we are living in. We are on enemy territory and victory is around the corner. That is your reality. No matter what the TV you're watching tells you, no matter what your friends are telling you, that is your reality. We are on enemy territory. There is an endless supply of enemies. And those who are with us are more than those who are with them. We need to see rightly. We need to see what his word is over our businesses, what his word is over our health, what his word is over our family. We need to see rightly. We need to understand that we are the hopeful. We are those who understand the hope that we have in the future reality, that we are those who gather together and pull forward into that future reality Irrespective of what we see around us, we can see more than those who do not have God on their side can see. We can see a future reality, and that is what we are fighting for. You see, humility does look like modesty when we're trusting in our own ability, but humility looks like confidence when we're trusting in God. So we humble ourselves and are modest as to what we can accomplish in our own strength. But because we have humbled ourselves, we are not trusting in our own strength. We're trusting in God, and we are confident in our humility because we are trusting in God. We need to align wisely. We need to see rightly in order to have courage. And then lastly, we need to deal kindly. It's interesting to me that as Elisha takes these enemies straight into the king's camp, as he has an opportunity to really sort those oaks out. Elisha says to him, what would you have done if you've captured them with your own sword and bow? What he's saying is, enemies of war are disabled. They're powerless, they're impotent, and that is why we can be kind to them. Jesus calls us to love our enemies. He says this, I say to you, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. Why does the same God who is furious with those who are disheartening the righteous, calling us to love our enemies, it's because he wants you to know your enemies are impotent. They are defeated. They do not know the truth. They do not see rightly. They do not understand. And therefore, you can kindly feed them, pray for them, ask God to bless them, open their eyes, ask God to enable them to understand him, to fill them with love instead of hate. We can deal kindly because we're not fighting them for life. They're captured. Last scripture I just wanted to leave you with, also from Matthew, that friend of Jesus and his disciples. Jesus' words as he's speaking to another disciple who has just realized who Jesus is. He's just realized you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You are the one. You are the one that Jesus, that God was looking for that would stand in the breach. You are the rock that is the sanctuary and the rock of offense. You are the one that we're supposed to fall on and be broken to pieces so that we will not be crushed. You are the one that's going to defend us. You are the one through whom our victory is going to come. And Jesus looks at him proudly and he says, I tell you, you are Peter, which means rock. And so he has a little play on words. He says, on this rock, this truth that you've just understood. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That is the power that you have, friends. Whatever you, the church, bind on earth will be bound in heaven. We get to change reality By aligning wisely, seeing rightly, because the power is in our hands. One of the noblemen that is fighting alongside Henry V in this Shakespeare's version in the play, uh, Henry turns to him and says, Oh, it's been a long year. You must be wishing to get home. Obviously in much fancier language than that. <laughs> he says, you must be wishing to get home. You must be wishing for your castle and your feather bed. And here you are kindly fighting alongside me for the future of England. And the nobleman looks at his king and he says, Not so, my liege. This lodging likes me better. For I may say now I lie like a king. Not so my liege. This lodging right here in the, in the rain, in the mud, in the tent next to yours. I lie like a king. When we are in the company of our suffering king, fighting alongside him, dealing with the blows, understanding where the criticism is coming, where the hate is coming, the discouragement is coming from, our enemy is the same as his. We suffer alongside him. But after the death of our King came his resurrection. And after our death will come our resurrection. Will you stand with me so I can pray for you? Jesus, I just pray for your holy awe. To fall upon your church right now. That this Jesus that we've been talking about, that was prophesied, that we've been waiting for throughout time, throughout history, it's you. It's you. And you're here. You're right here. Jesus, thank you. We hide ourselves in you. Oh God, we repent. We humble ourselves of our own insufficiencies. And that you would call us your righteous, your elect, that you would call us because you had intended to do so, that you would justify us, that you would call us righteous, that you would glorify us and lead us into victory. We thank you, Jesus. We hide in you right now. We just accept that position, aligning with the righteous (laughs) through what you did, not what we did. We accept, God, that we have the keys to the kingdom, Right now, would you bind up the enemies that are against us, God? Would you bind up bad diagnoses and bad reports, bad comments and critics and naysayers? God, would you bind up the thoughts in our head that would discourage us, that would come against what you are doing in our lives, that would come against our dreams and the things that you have put in us, God? Would you bind those things up, God? We give ourselves to you. We align with you. Would you open our eyes? Would you put courage in our hearts and fire in our bones today? In your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, we hope you were encouraged and inspired by that word today. If you would like to know more about what's happening in the life of the church, please check out our socials on Instagram and Facebook. Subscribe to our YouTube channel or check out our website, lifechangers.org.za. Enjoy your day.